What is wrong with education? This year on the W5H Book Club podcast, me and my co-host, Luki Daniel Cargento, try to answer this question. Each month, we read a different book about problems in the education system. We'll touch on books about education in China, education in Finland, and of course, education in Canada and the United States to try to understand how to make schooling better. If this is a question that you've been wondering about, hop on over to the W5H Book Club podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, the, 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 the caregiver who brought in the child was clearly the child's grandmother. Um, like, and she even talked about how, you know, oh, my daughter couldn't bring the patient in because she's having her own issues. So I brought him in. Uh, and then at one point towards the end, she says something along the lines of like, you know, I mean, you look like you're about the same age as me. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and then she started talking about something else. And I was thinking like, it's hard to concentrate on anything else you're saying after the point at which you thought that I was the same age as you. Welcome to the Medical Dads Podcast, a parenting podcast by two dads who happen to be medical doctors. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Stuart Harmon, a pediatric emergency room physician and father of four from Ottawa, Ontario. I want to be in the podcast. Daddy, do you know what you're doing? Can I play a game on your computer? Daddy, where's mommy? And I'm your other co-host, Dr. David Shu, a family doctor from Toronto, Ontario. Welcome aboard. All right, Stu, we're back for another episode of Medical Dads. Happy New Year, or Happy Lunar yes. New Year, depending on how long it takes us to edit this. Welcome to 2023. This year, we promised to get episodes out on a more timely basis. I'm, we, I caught up to all the edits over Christmas, so people got to hear our Christmas shopping episode in early January. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Yes. And it's, we as you record this, it's to... January 13th. It's, it's Friday the 13th as we record this right now. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll see when people get to hear this. But we had talked before Christmas about what books to buy. And you said you're going to look into picking up some Smurfs books. So has that happened? That's what the world needs to know today. <laughs> well, yes, I did meet my fulfill my promise of looking into getting some Smurfs books. <laughs> it was a uh, maybe three or four days before Christmas, and I was thinking about the podcast actually, and, and I remembered, oh yeah, that's right, Smurfs books. I said I want to get some Smurf books, and I thought it would be great to have them in time for Christmas, so my kids could actually read them. I went on Amazon, and it said no, the, if you order it now, it won't arrive until after Christmas. So I was like, ah, that's too bad. But then I got, I checked it again later, and uh, the delivery time had changed, and it now said guaranteed delivery uh, Wednesday the 23rd or whatever day the 23rd was. So went ahead, ordered uh, book one and book three. Not not the Utah described how the paper cuts collects it all into one edition. I, I, mm -hmm. I wasn't able to get those to arrive in time, but I ordered the actual just full-size book. Uh, oh, the individuals. Yeah, the individuals. Individual one and oh, individual man. three. Uh, <laughs> and then there was the... Living large over there. <laughs> exactly. Uh, however... Uh, I don't know if this is the reason why, but we had that big Canada-wide winter storm on uh, on the Friday before Christmas, right on the twenty-third. Right. And uh, so I don't know if that's the reason why, but then suddenly uh, I'm looking for these things in the mailbox; they're not showing up. I look on online, and it's saying, "Oh yeah, your order is uh, is is delayed. Your new estimated delivery time will be, uh, I think it said, the 29th. Uh, and here it is, <laughs> January, uh, Friday the 13th, and these books have still not arrived. <laughs> now, now, 
one thing is you bought like the original Smurfs books. Yes. But there is, there's actually, I just learned this. There's actually two different series of books being released by Paper Cuts. So one series is the original Smurfs book. So there's like 30 something books yeah. in that series and they sell them as individuals, which is what you bought, I think. And then they also sell them as three in ones yeah. for people who want to save money like me. Yeah. So those are like the classics, like the Smurfette or Dr. Smurf. But now there's a new series. So Paper Cuts is actually releasing an ongoing new comics in the form of Smurf Tales. Oh. So these are not written by the original creative teams anymore. These are like ongoing things that are being produced now. Uh -huh. So I have I purchased two of these books for my kids to read because you just can't get enough <laughs> of the Smurfs at home. But they do report that the new ones are not as good. They, they're bucking with tradition a little bit. My daughter said the Smurfs look all funny. There's crazy color schemes and it's a little bit different. Like they're not all blue now? Like cell phones. I'm not sure what she means. I, I, I try to read the stuff she reads a little bit, but it's impossible for dad to keep up. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the original Smurfs have a sort of a unique kind of humor and a unique kind of style that I'm not sure mm -hmm. a modern writer would necessarily. Yeah, capture. I agree. I agree. I, I, I actually should flip through one of those just for curiosity's sake. But anyways, uh, anyways, at least they arrive. Today. At least Smurf tales <laughs> will arrive at your house if you order them. <laughs> We are here today to talk about middle age, our middle aged men specifically. <laughs> I don't know if I'm actually in that category of middle age. I'm very reluctant to say that, but my birthday is coming up and I'm starting to feel it. So the first question I need to ask you is when does a person officially become middle aged? <laughs> right? Like we divided life into like early, middle and late. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. When does early end? Like, I'm, I guess you and I, we're not young anymore. Are we still young? I mean, I guess it depends on how long you think you're going to live there, Dr. Shu. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you live to be 80, no, 90. If you live to be 90, then yeah, you're middle-aged now. <laughs> well, well, let's just take the average. I think the average male lifespan in Canada is something like 83. Okay. Well then. So if 83 is, is the totality of your existence, yeah. right? And anything past 83, we'll call it overtime <laughs> in the name of time. <laughs> in the name of hockey players everywhere like where are we well if you are 41 and a half years old then you are middle-aged if you're anything older than that then you're now in the latter years of your life oh so middle is middle denotes half yeah that's what the middle would be <laughs> <laughs> but how long does middle last for right you start at 41 and and go until until 41 Point six? Like how long is the middle? I, well, I think that's ex I think the middle is exactly half. <laughs> like you know, people talk about having a so glass I'm past, that's half. So I'm past middle age already, according to this definition. I don't like your definition. <laughs> I, I'm canceling your definition. I mean, you could use a different definition, but then I I guess you're what you would call one of these uh, glass half full guys, where even when there's only a quarter of stuff left in the glass, you're like, ah, it's still that's more or less half full. <laughs> so. You don't have this problem because you're a pediatrician. I have this problem sometimes when I'm talking to patients. Like, you know, a guy will come in and their blood pressure is up and I'll be like, you know, this is a common issue. And I'm always about to say, this is a common issue in middle-aged men. Yeah. And I never know when I should use that word, middle-aged. Because I'm looking at the guy, he's like 43. Should I should I drop the bomb on him that he's officially middle-aged? Or like a 38-year-old, like, should I tell him he's middle-aged? Like, Usually for people in their 50s, I feel like it's kind of safe to use that word. Yeah. But 40s is kind of a weird decade you know people are like some people are clinging on to the past some people are like holding on for dear life i don't know when i should use that word well a safer way to do it 
is to say, at least at this stage of our lives, is to say to patients, ah, you know, people around our age, you start seeing this happen. <laughs> patients always respond fairly well to that. I'll, I'll even do that with uh, with parents when I'm in the pediatric setting. I'll be saying, you know, yeah, you know, back in our time when you and I would have been kids, uh, this wouldn't have been an issue, uh, or, or or you know, chickenpox would have presented differently. Uh, but now it's mm. different because they have the vaccine. All right, so just skip. You don't use that. Don't use that adjective at all to describe things. Yeah, just, just just stick with like comparative to your own that's age. That's right. Until you get to a certain, there's a certain age where you shouldn't do that anymore. I I had a patient who was clearly, well, the the the, the caregiver who brought in the child was clearly the child's grandmother, um, <laughs> and she even talked about how you know my daughter couldn't bring the patient in because she's having her own issues, so I brought him in. Uh, and then at one point towards the end, she says something along the lines of like, you know, I mean, you look like you're about the same age as me. Uh, uh, you know, uh, and then she started talking about something else. And I was thinking like, it's hard to concentrate on anything else you're saying after the point at which you thought that I was the same age as you. <laughs> <laughs> this whole visit is over. That, that is, that is a quite appalling. <laughs> so I guess based on every definition we've used, you and I are middle-aged I there's no <laughs> getting around it okay. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were saying that we were past middle age but uh you know what I'll I'll go with it I'll, I'll go with this we are middle-aged men. <laughs> so all right assuming that is true we're officially middle-aged yeah today we're going to talk about the types of medical problems that befall middle-aged dads and middle-aged men in general yeah and the, the reason we're talking about this is because I got gout, all right? And it's, it's annoying me as hell, and I have to talk about it. And I was telling a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in a few years. I'm like, I, I just called him for some other reason. And then at, after, at near the end, I'm like, dude, I got gout. My foot's killing me. Yeah. He's like, you got gout? I got gout too. We all got gout, right? I was like, really? You got gout? He's like, yeah, it hurts like crazy. And he's like, you know what the problem with gout is? Guys don't want to talk about it, right? So today we're going to change that. We're going to talk about it, right? Guys out there, it's okay to have health problems, okay? We don't need to all bottle it up in there. Well, you know, I was going to say, you know, just to point out that once guys start sitting around talking about all the different ailments they have and comparing them, that means you're old, that you're not a middle-aged man, you're an old man. But, uh, but maybe I won't, maybe I'll retract that just in the spirit of what you're saying, that oftentimes people don't want to talk about their health, maybe because they are worried it will make them seem like an old man. Uh, and then that True. actually can lead the problems. Exactly. In, in the modern, in the modern age, you know, as modern men, we should be in touch with our feelings. It should be okay for us to talk about things that scared the living bejesus out of us. <laughs> well, right? I, 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 and gout is that thing. <laughs> of all the conditions <laughs> that men need to talk about that they don't, I didn't know gout was at the top of that list. <laughs> well, first of all, it's not gout itself being, you know, life-threatening or deadly. It's just, it's just another thing that reminds you that the four horsemen are coming, <laughs> right? <laughs> like you just, you, 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 one day you're walking fine, the next thing your toe hurts, and then you just, you hear those footsteps. <laughs> it's not too long now. And it's just this reminder that you're officially in middle age. You look at your son, he can eat whatever he wants, right? No <laughs> problems, right? You look at everyone else out there, you look at all those college kids drinking whatever they want, and then you're sitting there trying to figure out, can I have a glass of wine this week or not? <laughs> Right, because I might not be able to walk if I have this glass of wine. Got it. Got it. So it, it's not that the problem is 
people are talking about everything else but gout. It's not that we're like, oh, you know what, I'm tired of talking about prostate cancer and the issue with blood in my bowels. Can we please talk about gout? <laughs> it's that we don't talk about anything, but gout is like that warning shot. That's like, you know what, now you got gout. Be glad it's just gout because what's coming next is an even bigger deal. So get comfortable talking about things when it's just some crystals in your joints. Exactly. It's this whole idea where as you get older and, and as it made me think about life in its whole totality. Yeah. Right. Which is that as you get older, the things that you love to do get taken away from you. And I, I know I'm quoting Al Pacino from any given Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Right. But that's life, gentlemen. <laughs> like you you start off as a kid, your body works good. Right. Everything's everything's functioning. Right. Yeah. The worst thing that happens to you is like you're overly zealous on your bicycle and you get like a scrape on your knee. Right. And then two days later, it's gone. Right. That's how it feels like yeah. when you're a kid anyway. Well, the fact that you can right? fall off your bicycle as a kid and that's your, your biggest problem is your scraped knee. Right. Right. And that right. all falls off a bicycle like is a disaster. You're, eventually, it's going to be your children telling you, Dad, you can't you can't walk up the stairs alone. You need to sit down and buckle up and we press a button for you to go upstairs. Right. <laughs> like that's that is life. If you're lucky enough to get to that. point, yeah, That's right? right. And so it's like from your middle age on all the little things that you used to enjoy in life slowly start getting plucked away till you're just like a hollow shell of a man yeah. at the end of it all. But I there is the, there is I mean, you've met somebody in your life. I'm sure, who was a, a, an old person who was always complaining about their problems, like always complaining about their ailments. <laughs> so there are some people out there who... Oh, yeah, my them. grandmother, <laughs> my grandmother. <laughs> you don't want to be that person, unfortunately. I love my grandmother, but you don't want to be that person. That person is not a comfortable person to talk to. <laughs> but you're right. There is this other like large group of us that uh, we, we don't talk about our... our like what's bothering us from a health point of view. And is it because we are afraid of being that person? Is it because we don't want to burden everybody with our problems because we're just so uh, altruistic that we are suffer in silence? Or is it because we're afraid that if we talk about these problems, then they actually become real, uh, right? That you can't just ignore them. I don't know what the reason is. I, I, I mean, I, I guess when we're talking about this group, 49% of the population, right? Like of men. Yeah we don't talk about our ailments as a collective. I mean, some of us do probably, but it's a rare thing. Most of us, you know, prefer to just suck it up. And I think that goes, there's a gender thing going on there, yeah. right? It's this whole idea that you're a man, just take the pain, right? <laughs> like I, I hear the sound of Tom Berenger's character in Platoon yelling at the soldier who just, you know, got part of his leg blown up. Just take the pain, man, just take the pain, right? But we're... In, we're inundated with that philosophy as a guy. Whereas with a girl, it's more accepted that it's okay to cry. It's okay to be more in touch with your feelings. You and I definitely still grew up in that era where for boys, this was not allowed. And I feel like growing up, this is the manifestation of it. We're just in denial about everything. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think there's definitely something there. Uh, but tied with that, I think there is also a bit of this issue of, uh, of this, you know what, I have this little pain uh, this thing's bothering me, but if I just ignore it, it'll go away. If I if I say something about it, the doctor investigates it. They're gonna find something, and then now that they found something, it's gonna lead to all this <laughs> this other rigmarole that uh, maybe it's gonna make things worse. You know, maybe that biopsy they're gonna right. do will, will will make me have a problem I didn't have before. Uh, that type of thing. Right. And should right. should people think that way? You're you're the inside track for this. Uh, um, is that a real problem? 
it's a philosophical question, right? Do you want to know everything that's going on inside your body? Sometimes it's nice to think of your body as a black box where things are happening and progressing and proceeding. And you're just you're just the guy that's operating the controls. You don't really need to know what's going on inside that machine. You know, it's like, you know, in the old days when you used to have a computer, like the big fat desktop computers that are running on your desk, yeah. like... When a deck, when computer is running well, you don't need to open it up, right? You know it's getting pretty dusty in there, yeah. right? And someday it's going to conk out completely. But well, I don't need to check it every day. I don't need to open it every day and blow the dust out, yeah. right? The more I blow out the dust, the more chance I have of short-circuiting something anyway. So sometimes there is something to be said for just leaving it go and just let it run. And in medicine specifically, mm-hmm. there's this idea that patients have, which is that, you know, I want to tune up. I want to check, make sure everything is operational at all times. You know, let me go see the doctor. I want another colonoscopy. Oh, check my prostate, please. Right. Like, and, and there's this idea that people have that if they do all that, if they're constantly checking and they're hyper aware that they'll be healthy, right. They're going to live longer when in fact, that's not necessarily true in primary care. A lot of times we spend telling patients, look, you don't, you already did a test two years ago. You're good for now. You don't need to repeat it again. Right. Yeah. And people don't fully get that. And so there is this idea of less is more sometimes, or at the very least, less is less, is less, <laughs> less worry. <laughs> I was reading an article that was talking about uh, colonoscopies. And uh, the premise of the article essentially was that people need to be more willing to get colonoscopies and men should do more screen. Well, I guess this is everybody. Everybody should do more screening for uh, uh, when you reach a certain age for, uh, for uh, colorectal cancer. And if I'm understanding it right, they were saying, if you don't have high risk factor, then you can start off by just doing stool collection kits and they look for blood in the stool. And then if you have it, then they would do this colonoscopy. And you know, part of me was thinking, you know, people get blood in the stool frequently and nobody ever talks about it, right? Like people often have a little <laughs> blood in the stool and they just, no, it just mentions it. It's just whatever, there's blood on the toilet paper. But uh, if you have that and then you do the stool test and then it leads to a colonoscopy that you wouldn't have got if you uh, if you had ignored it, right? then I could see how some people would interpret that as like, oh, if I do this, then I'm going to get a, a colonoscopy, which I which I don't want. And the, the other part of the article is there's talking about how, you know, if you catch these things sooner, then there's like an 18% chance that you can have uh, like a treatment or something like this. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the idea being that you can treat it sooner if you catch it. But then they did have sort of a small in footnote that like, you know, the mortality rate was the same for people who had regular screening and, and, and who didn't. Um, and a lot of people, I think, would be a little nervous about the idea that like, okay, so I'm not going to live any longer, but if you find this, then I'm going to live with painful treatments and all these kind of things until I die. What article are you reading? There, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it's clearly shown that there's a mortality benefit for doing colon cancer screening. Well, this, the, I don't, I don't want to be the podcast that's promoting misinformation <laughs> about colon cancer screening, yet expects everyone to believe what we say about the vaccines. Well, the, the article is like a, just a CBC News article. Um, okay. And so, okay. so the, the, but the article is very pro like screening. Um, mm. uh, but they did mention that uh, it, that it didn't that in the study that they were looking at that prompted I guess them to write the article they're saying that it didn't affect um, mortality. But then they had a lot of caveats that like, but you know, a lot of people who got the screening didn't follow up on the screening stuff like that. But uh, anyway, the reason I brought this whole thing up is because knowing that your wife is a GI specialist, I wanted to get like what's that? So that's what the article was kind of saying. But what's the real story? What should the listeners truly if take home? Everyone. Everyone should do a colonoscopy. I, I, I don't know why we're talking about colonoscopies on a parenting podcast, but <laughs> since we're talking about it, 
everyone should avail themselves to colon cancer screening. But in different parts of the world, colon cancer screening is done in different ways, okay. right? So in Ontario, where we live, we have something called, like, you know, it used to be called the fecal called blood test, right? right? Where you would test the poop. for, And now it's called the fecal I don't even remember the name of the test, the FIT test, right? <laughs> and basically you test your poop to see if there's blood in it. And then if there is blood on this little test kit, then you get sent for a colonoscopy. Yeah. And if there isn't, then you repeat that screening test every two years. Okay. And it, but that's in Ontario between ages 50 and, oh my gosh, you're putting me on the spot, ages 50 and 75, okay. right? And in other countries like the United States, which is the country we get compared to the most, uh -huh. They actually just tell people at age 50, and now I think there's some movement to start at 45 uh -huh. to do a colonoscopy at that age. And if it's normal, repeat it in 10 years. If it's abnormal, you'll be given different instructions. Yeah. So both of these methods have been shown to find colon cancer early. Yeah. So macro, you know, looking at the problem from a macro viewpoint, do one of these programs. Don't don't do what Stu might have advocated, which is saying to to ignore colon cancer screen because there's no mortality benefit. Do <laughs> do one of those at least, right? Talk to your doctor about it. But what Stu was mentioning was that if you have blood in your stool, you know, should you ignore it? If you're in that age group, you know, 45 up, if you're seeing blood in your stool, you should probably just do a colonoscopy to be on the safe side if it's readily available. Like colonoscopies are not equally available in all parts of Canada. Right. So if you live in Toronto, you could find a specialist like my wife or somebody to do it for you. If you're in rural, you know, Northwest Territories, good luck, you know, trying to do a colonoscopy just because you got a little bit of blood <laughs> in your poop. But if it's available, you should be doing it at that point just to make sure. Because you always hear that horror story of, you know, the young guy who, ah, it was nothing, it's a hemorrhoid. I've always had hemorrhoids, right? right? And they've had hemorrhoids for five years and then someone finds a big mass in their rectum and, and no one bothered to do a colonoscopy because no one wanted to talk about it. Okay. All right. Good. So yeah, this to be clear, I'm not, uh, I'm not telling people to ignore the colorectal cancer <laughs> screening by any means, just sort of trying to get that devil's advocate uh, view out there so that you could uh, kind of speak to it. It very much sounds like, uh, like we should be doing these. And for the people who are just afraid of doing it, who are like, Oh, why would I want to do something that's so uncomfortable and stuff like that? Is it as bad as it sounds? I've never had a colonoscopy. How would I know? Well, doesn't your wife do them all the time? Doesn't she come home and say like, ah, yeah, patients love these. <laughs> They're not that bad. Overall, I think it's, speaking as someone who's never had one himself and only talks about it in theory, <laughs> they're not that bad. They're fine. <laughs> but it's the prep that's worse than the actual procedure. So it's this whole idea that before you do the colonoscopy, the day before, you got to empty out your system. You got to drink a couple liters of peg light, right, to flush everything out of your bowels and you can't eat. Yeah. Just, just the fact of telling someone that you can't eat for a day is like, Dude, middle age has arrived, man. You got you can't eat for a day. You gotta flush your bowels so that we can look inside your colon for problems. Okay, welcome to middle age. No, that stuff, peg light. Uh, this is the same stuff essentially we use to treat constipation in kids, except for I think the stuff you use for the colonoscopy it comes as a powder and a giant jug, and then you add water to fill up the jug, right? 
Right. Um, but you could just take that same powder and put it in any liquid. Like it doesn't have to be water. Like for kids, we tell them <laughs> to put it in juice or whatever. So perhaps we could put a whole other spin on colonoscopies if we told people to. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> we're not telling them to use any beverage. All right. Next, you know, people are going to be mixing with milk and you're going to be doing your colonoscopy through milk curds. You won't be able to see a thing. <laughs> I'm not talking about milk. Who's going to do this with milk? Who's, who's listening to this and being like, I can drink anything I want? Milk. <laughs> Especially if Me. our audience is a bunch of Asian people. <laughs> Problem is when you hit middle age, every beverage on earth is against the rules, right? You can't have alcohol because of gout. You can't have you can't have hot chocolate because of sugar and diabetes, <laughs> right? Like like what other like coffee that's bad for your prostate you're gonna be up all night peeing right there's actually nothing you can drink except for milk lactose free <laughs> milk no less i sort of thought this could be a free pass for people to be like normally i don't drink beer but for this colonoscopy they told me i had to drink beer continuously for 24 <laughs> hours on an empty stomach and then not only would you be having fun with the prep but probably by the time you went to do the colonoscopy you'd still be pretty giddy like this whole thing could go well <laughs> This is why they don't do colonoscopies on college students, because some college student probably would do it that way. This is why it's a reserve for middle-aged men. We've achieved some level of maturity that we can just do it with water. I don't know. I think somebody needs to study this. Beer for colonoscopy prep. Then you can empty your body from both ends. But, but it's good that you talked about rectal bleeding, because I guess that does fit into these categories of things. So I have gone to the trouble of breaking down our discussion today into categories of things that happen when you're in middle age, like health things. All right. Okay. So the first category is if you're going to get sick in middle age, then or you're going to get some sort of ailment, then the types of illnesses that you wish you had, that you're glad to have, you're happy to have are things like muscle skeletal injuries. Those are the best things to get when you're in middle age because Muscle skeletal injuries happen to anyone. They happen to they happen to teenagers. They happen to professional athletes, right? They happen to bodybuilders. Mike Tyson got hurt, you know, at some point in his career. Yeah. So if you get hurt, that's okay because that's a young man's problem, right? Right. So as a as, like sometimes like when I when my toe flared up and I had gout, I was like in my brain, I'm like, I'm hoping this is just from playing basketball. And I had played basketball the night before for ten minutes. Yeah. Right, I was shooting around, but I was like, I must have done something. I must have done something to tweak my toe. Right, It must have been the shoes I was wearing, or maybe I turned it slightly. And You come up with all these crazy excuses in your head because yeah. you don't want to get out of that category where it's something more than just a, <laughs> more than just a musculoskeletal problem. This is like the episode of the TV show King of the Hill. Did you ever watch that one? No. Well, that shows uh, uh, an animated show centering around a family, and in it, the, uh, the son... Uh, uh, has been put into football. They, they put him into football. Mm. Uh, but instead of going to football, he instead uh, skips every football practice and instead goes to the like local deli and uh, and eats uh, liver and onions for some reason. Uh, and then at a certain <laughs> point, uh, his toe is hurting him and his dad brings him to the sports medicine clinic, uh, assuming that he's got turf toe from uh, playing football. And uh, while they're sitting there, they're even laughing at the guy who's got tennis elbow. They're like, oh, that guy's got tennis elbow. <laughs> That's not a real sports injury. Uh, only for him to find out that his son has gout, not turf toe. <laughs> Turf toe is often mistaken for gout. So that's a, that's another thing we can talk about. I, I was actually reading about this frantically as my toe was growing redder and redder. <laughs> Wishing it was turf toe. 
turf toe is actually bursitis of your foot, right? So there's these little bursa that are around your toe joints, like under the balls of your feet. Yeah. And in athletes, professional, serious, strong men, athletes, they sometimes get that from overplaying. So you're always, you're always hoping that that's your injury and not actual gout. And then if you do get gout, you're still glad that it's gout, that it's not something even more severe than that. Because gout, as annoying as it is, it's still a relatively young man's game. You know, you, as a man, you can look and be like, yeah, it's because I ate too much steak. It's because I had too much to drink, right? Like, that's a man's illness, right? <laughs> it's, not, it's not like some of these, like, you know, you have eczema because you didn't. Well, I guess eczema is also a man's illness, right? It's because, yeah, my skin was real dry because I don't moisturize because I'm a man. <laughs> okay, yes. Okay, I got you that. I wasn't sure where that was going. <laughs> that's right up your alley. Yeah, no, you got me that. I was... <laughs> For a minute there, I was confused, but then once you said that, yeah, men don't moisturize. I, yes, that is a mandatory. I don't know about uh, I don't know about uh, saying that because you can get gout from drinking too much that it would be a young man's like disease. Just from the point of view of the whole point of being young is that you can drink without those type of consequences. You know, uh, a young person might brag True. about being hungover and vomiting, but talking about how you have. Uh, Gout is sort of like saying, like, yeah, I, I, I drink and then I have liver spots and psoriasis. It's like, ah, oh, that doesn't right, right. mean you're young anymore. It's not because they're young, okay? And th there's a common thread here. Okay. So the things I put into this category are your MSK injuries, mm -hmm. gout, skin issues like dermatitis, yeah. which can often come from dry skin, and stress, like work stress. Yeah. These are common things that 40-year-olds, <clears throat> middle-aged men come into the clinic with. Yeah. And they're all, the, the thing that ties them all together is at some level, they're all self-inflicted, yeah. right? <laughs> like, yeah. They're all kind of self-inflicted things. And as guys, we take pride in that. We take pride in inflicting damage to our own bodies and, and then getting up the next day and then going to work again, yeah. right? That's part of being a man. <laughs> These are things that, this isn't happening because I'm aging and that are out of my control. These are things that are, <laughs> this is just a sign of being young and living a young man's lifestyle. Like STDs. <laughs> now, so that's that's this initial category. And then I guess, the, I mean, I I don't know. Like, this is the category that that a lot of the patients are stuck in. But at the end of the day, when you deal with, with a patient with one of these issues, like an MSK injury or gout, you don't need to think too much about the bigger, higher-level questions about, like, your long-term mortality, right? Life, death, and all that stuff. These are just, like, you go to the doctor... You deal with this quick problem, you go home, life moves on. Except for the fact that you, as it happens more and more, you start to think in the back of your mind, you know, what's going on? Things are starting to not work as well as they used to back in the day. Yeah. But you can still cling to the idea you're young when you have these problems. Yeah. <laughs> so then that's, that's the next category then. <laughs> the next category is a little bit more ominous, right? This is stuff you might actually get when you're in middle age. And it's stuff that's not that pleasant because it's starting to make you think about the other stuff you could get <laughs> next, right? And the, this is where all that family medicine stuff comes in. So it's your high blood pressure, your high cholesterol, maybe your blood sugar is starting to creep up, right? Yeah. Um, but not nothing actual has happened yet. These are all kind of things that are harbingers of doom. Yeah, these so are the things. Speak. How would you... How would a lot of people even know they have them? They, these are probably things that you have for like five years before you realize it's going on. Right? Like right. high blood pressure. I don't, I don't, my family doctor does not see me on a regular basis. 
And so I'm certainly not getting my <laughs> blood pressure checked on a regular basis. My cholesterol. Maybe your maybe your family doctor should see you on a semi regular basis <laughs> at some point in your life. Yeah, well, that leads into a whole other discussion, I think, about the availability of, of family physicians. But <laughs> indeed, like, how often are you checking your patient's cholesterol? I mean, when you officially get into middle age, I think once a year, once every two years is a reasonable thing. The guidelines are kind of split on this. If you actually look at the guidelines, they do say like every couple years, oh, really? right? They're not actually advocating people too early to start doing annual blood tests. Okay. But sometimes those guidelines are kind of written from the standpoint of like, you know, this macro policy thing where we don't want to waste money. Yeah. And when you look at things from a micro level, you know, the level of the individual doctor or uh, the level of the individual patient, yeah. it probably isn't a bad idea to check your cholesterol every year, you know, in your mid 40s on. Yeah. Interesting. I made an appointment with my doctor uh, for like a specific issue because my like, arm shoulder was sore. And then when I when my doctor saw was going to see me for that appointment my doctors realized like oh yeah yeah you know you you, you turned 40 a little while ago and we never did anything so i'll, I'll just uh, send you for some screening blood work which i went to a lab mm -hmm. and had done uh by the time i saw my doctor the results weren't back yet um and then my uh, now i have no idea what those results are i can only assume that because my <laughs> doctor's not called me uh, that those results must be must be spectacular <laughs> must be either that i mean you can download your results you realize that most labs now allow you to access your results online i i think i'd have to sign up for a service for that but yeah I right suppose so yeah a free service <laughs> it's not that difficult that's <laughs> uh, that's the state of healthcare that we're in right now you, you have to be the, you have to be on top of your own blood work results you can't rely on someone else to do that <laughs> Words to live by. I feel like that's a typical man, right? He's gone home, had his blood test. If nobody calls him, he just assumes everything's fine. He'll show up again five years from now for his for his next blood test. <laughs> right. Not realizing, like, no, the doctor never looked at those results. Yeah. To to be honest, I don't love going for these checks, right? Like, like we do tell patients to do one thing, and then we ourselves sort of do something else. Yeah. Right. Like I'm surrounded by blood tests every day. I don't really feel the urge to have to do another one, which is a problem when your uric acid level is going up and then gout suddenly bites you in the foot. Yeah. If only your family doctor had been making regular appointments and following up on your blood work. <laughs> so so this this is a category that where I feel like if you get something like high blood pressure and high cholesterol and, and a lot of us do yeah. at this age. Right. That you, it makes you start to think about things like, okay, I got to eat better. I got to exercise more or else something bad is going to happen a few years from now. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's a bigger reminder that trouble is headed down your way. Right. And it's, it's just this thing in like middle age where it's like, you don't have unlimited time. Like it, these, these knocks keep getting louder and louder that you don't have unlimited time yeah. and whatever's whatever podcasts you got to record, you better get them out soon because there won't be time. And it, it's, it, this is where it starts to get a little bit scary for people. Yeah. It's funny because a lot of these things are in that kind of category of, you know, I, I, I can still uh, bargain my way out of this, right? It's like, oh, my blood sugar is right. a little high. Well, what what okay. do I have to do, doc, to start to get that down without having to take any medications? How much weight right. do I got to lose? Right. I'm like looking at a dude, their, their, their blood sugar is double of a normal human being. Yeah. 
And I'm like, you should start medication. Give me three months. Give me three months. I'm going to work. I'm going to work it off. And I'm like, there's no way this is going to happen. Three months. Just give me three months. Right. And then, and then you know what happens? They don't come back. Right. For two years. Right. They, they need me to hunt them down. Right. Like, hey, hey, you said three months. It's been two years. You haven't come back yet. Like I get this thing all the time. So it's like if I don't trap them into agreeing to take medication right now, yeah. They, they're, they're just not going to come back. They make up this three-month story, and then they, they skedaddle, and their wife's like, hey, how was your doctor's visit? Fine, it was good. Nothing happened. Now, is it unrealistic that these patients could do that, or is it unrealistic that even if you did, even if you did get into shape, that wouldn't be enough to bring the blood sugar down? It depends on the person, right? So the general concept of it is that the way I learned it was that about 75 to 80% of your body's physiologic status yeah. is determined genetically right. and you're just messing around with 20%, yeah. right? So if you think of it that way, if your sugar is like 20% above normal, yeah. then yeah, if I'm really diligent with exercise, if I'm really diligent with what I eat, I can, I can chop that 20% down, yeah. but the other 80, you're stuck with what you got. And there are exceptions to this. Like some people like, yeah, they're super self-destructive. They're eating super poorly. Yeah. So maybe instead of 20% for them, it's 40% or something. So there are some people out there who could, who are really self-inflicting themselves to the grave. Okay. Then maybe for them, it's a little bit more. But for most people, it's about 20%. Okay. That's actually insightful for me. I was always under the impression that type 2 diabetes was purely a problem from people being just overweight, that that was like the majority of it. And that if people just got themselves to a normal weight, they'd be essentially fine. But what you're saying is that's not really true. Like some people doesn't like I don't I can't just walk around uh, arrogantly <laughs> assuming that I will not have to worry about type two diabetes because I'm not obese. Well, you look at things like does it run in your family and whatnot. But generally speaking, being overweight is a risk factor for it. But you can t basically if you think of it this way, you take two adults or two people yeah. and feed them the exact same food they don't actually end up with the same numbers. They don't end up with the same weight, certainly. Yeah. And they don't end up with the same blood sugar level. They don't end up with the same cholesterol. So the diet gets processed by different people's body in different ways. Yeah. Oh, this is not reassuring to hear since uh, uh, my, my mother being from Jamaica, Jamaica has a lot of type 2 diabetes. <laughs> don't worry. Your doctor never called you back. You're good. <laughs> You're good until you hear anything. <laughs> that must, must be fine. <laughs> I guess it's the yeah. same for things like high blood pressure. You tell someone their blood pressure is high, they probably want to know, well, what do I have to do? Or, or your cholesterol is high. Okay, well, what do I have to change in my diet? But it's it's all the same, is it? Sort of the same. I mean, the whole idea of it is that most of us are not eating properly and most of us are exercising too little, yeah. right? It's, uh, us being North American middle-aged people, yeah. right? We're all busy with work. Most of us are stressed out by work. If we're a family guys, then we also got kids to look after. So it's always work, family, and then in third place on the importance list is your own health, yeah. right? That's a typical structure. And then and then we, we get into a lot of arguments as you know a culture about should work be ahead of family? Should family be ahead of work? So it seems like now there's more men who put family ahead of work, whereas in the old generation, it was work ahead of family. Yeah. But always, without fail, your own health is third, right? <laughs> as, as a middle-aged guy, your health is third and a distant third a lot of times. Like when you ask people, you know, how much exercise are you doing? And they just kind of, none. Like yeah. <laughs> when was the last time you exercised? Like two months ago, three months ago? Like it's that bad, yeah. right? <laughs> well, I wish I could say that we truly do live in a world where the reason everybody's health is third is because they are putting family and job first. But I fear there's also a lot of people who like, 
yeah, actually, I just phoned in on my job, and I'm doing a pretty lousy, lousy job with my family too. Uh, but I still don't prioritize my health over just my own enjoyment and my own uh, self gratification. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely some people who uh, they are they're just eating poorly. Uh, and it's not because oh, my job makes it too hard to eat healthy or, oh, you know, I, my, I, I, I so dedicate to my family that I got to eat fried food all the time. Right. Like, <laughs> I, I guess you're tr- you're right. Although that population is more in your 20s, I feel like or early 30s. Once you get married, that population, it's hard to sustain that as a married person for the most part. I, I don't know any guy who's who was able to sustain that lifestyle into married life. <laughs> And who also made, managed to sustain his married life, you mean? <laughs> yeah, I don't know any. Do you know any? I, <laughs> I mean, there are some people that simply marry another person with the same self-destructive lifestyle habits that they have. <laughs> I see some of their kids sometimes. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose. But in any case, health is always like a distant, you know, third or fourth or fifth on the list. Yeah, until suddenly you, until suddenly you have a problem and then it becomes, a, the, the, and then it's the one, number one priority. Right. For six months. Right. right. And until it reverts back to its original position. So that is one of the most disturbing things about us as we get older yeah. is that we can't change. Right. As a society, we kind of get set in our ways. Mm. And, you know, even when your doctor tells you, look, you just had a heart attack. You really should stop smoking. Most of the studies show that at that moment, a man or a woman who is scared for their life. Like they are, their death is coming in the form of an acute heart attack, but they've managed to survive it. They get all excited, enthusiastic and quit smoking. But within like two years, most of them are back to smoking again. Yeah. There's some crazy stats about this kind of thing. I am very surprised about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not that surprised we are who we are. It just doesn't change that easily. I suppose the closer you get to the end, right? Uh, the more you probably also feel like, you know, I'm starting to have that realization that life is finite, right? That I've only got mm. a certain number of years left regardless of what I do. So maybe I'm going to go out enjoying myself, you know, like, uh, <laughs> you, know, you, you can see why it would be explained to a 20 year old why they should not be smoking. Um, but if, right. if you got someone who's 93 and they're smoking, uh, it's kind of like, look, look, man, each one of those cigarettes takes six minutes off your life. And they might be like, well, uh, <laughs> six, that's six minutes I'd rather have now than later. <laughs> that's six minutes less. Well, definitely, definitely when you're getting into the, and we're not going to talk too much about that today, but if when you're into that other age category, like beyond middle age, when you're into elder age, yeah. your mindset does need to shift a little bit. E- even as a physician, our mindset kind of shifts, right? Yeah. Like certain bad behaviors that were really harping on you you know, in your 40s and 50s, if you've managed to outwit the game doing no exercise up until you're 85, man, you're already past, you're, you've outlived everyone else, <laughs> right? Then just do it your way. <laughs> well, okay, so we've talked about those illnesses where you're going to have them and say, you know, oh gosh, okay, this is a wake-up call. Uh, I got to do something about it. Uh, and we've talked about those illnesses that uh, that when you have the wake up call that you're you're like, well, you know, maybe it's one of those other illnesses, you know, like, uh, you know, maybe it's not mm-hmm. a heart problem. Maybe it's just stress right? uh, yeah. or maybe it's not gout. Maybe it's just a uh, turf toe. But uh, what about right. the, the last category? What are the ones that us middle aged people have to truly think about? They're like, ah, you know, this this is it. This isn't just 
blood sugar. You don't die this from high it. blood sugar. You die from the consequences. But what are those consequences that we're afraid of? Well, anything to do with the ticker. All right. So heart problems are real. And then they, they afflict people at earlier ages than you'd think a lot of the times. Right. So you, you do see people in their 50s, early 50s, sometimes late 40s having heart attacks or, you know, major heart disease. So it does happen, but it happens more and more as you get older. Yeah. And that's one of those ones that really makes you have to say, okay, you know, you, you're not middle-aged anymore when that stuff is happening, right? You're, you're, you're scared. Right. So heart is one. Stroke is another one. So those are the two big ones that people are scared about. And cancer is the C word, is always lurking yes. in the background. So I feel like as people, we're, we're all waiting for that shoe to drop. You know, from the moment you get your first gout attack, <laughs> you're just waiting for one of these big ones to come, yeah. right? And, and you're thinking... Okay, what can I do to avoid that? I need to exercise, except my toe hurts. I can't actually move, <laughs> right? I can eat better, but, I, but you don't even know what to eat anymore because right. everything's off limits, right? You're trying to be healthy, yeah. but there's no way to avoid it. If we live long enough, right? And I hope, I hope all of our listeners out there live long enough to experience this because <laughs> we all want to live long, right? right. We got to live with this fact that we're going to get old. We're going to get it sick, right? It's going to be sad at the end, but there'll be some good times also, yeah. right? That's life. But that's tough, right? And and the other one that I was going to throw onto this list is when you, you, erectile dysfunction, oh, right? Gosh. That's another one where you're just things that used to take for granted, they're gone at some point. Yes. Well, luckily for for erectile dysfunction, there is treatment in the form of uh, medical assisted dying. There you go. There you go. And the, the rules for medical assisted dying are getting more lax all that's the time. Right. So who knows? Well, I, uh, I, I'm reminded of the episode of Friends where uh, one character is saying to Joey, uh, was revealing to Joey that he's having difficulties with, uh, with uh, erectile dysfunction or impotence. And then he's, Joey's saying to him, like, oh, you know, that's, that happens to everybody. And he's like, that happened to you? He's like, yeah. And then the guy's like, well, what did you do about it? He's like, oh, you know, I just did it anyway. <laughs> that's definitely one of those problems. If somebody has it, regardless of what age they are, uh, if they're too embarrassed to come forward and like get help for it, then they are, you know, suffering when they don't necessarily mm -hmm. need to be. Right. So, I mean, it's a good thing that in this day and age, we actually, as a society, do talk about this. Although I doubt that men actually talk about this on the micro level, right? Like we don't mind reading about it in a magazine and knowing that this condition exists, but we don't talk about it as, as individuals. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine if somebody had it, they would want to talk about it if they thought they could get help for it. There you go, boys. Those are all the things we got to look forward to as we get older, right? Or younger. So apparently. check them off on your bucket list. <laughs> check them off on your bucket list as you move forward in time. And let me know how it goes. <laughs> and remember, there's always the option of just doing it anyway. <laughs> Words to live by. We'll see you all in a week. Wait, is that it? That's our summary? There's no take-home message from us? <laughs> You want a take-home message? I just gave the take-home message. <laughs> so the take-home message is, is enjoy the time that you have while you have it because inevitably you're going to die uh, from a heart attack, stroke, uh, erectile uh, dysfunction combination. <laughs> there you go. And if, you, if all you have is gout, then just revel in the glories of just having gout because it could always be worse. <laughs> I, I think there's also sort of a theme of uh, if you – there are actually – uh, things that can be done for a lot of these conditions that men have. And because we don't talk about them, sometimes we don't get treatment for them or we get treatment that's too right. late. Maybe that's that part right. as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, I guess the other part of it is that 
for all those self-inflicted things, you don't be so hard on yourself, boys, right? Yeah. Treat your body properly, all right? Like, as doctors, we should just tell people, treat your bodies properly. You can avoid some of these self-inflicted things and then cruise into the more complicated stuff in life. Yeah. And Dr. Shu is officially saying it's okay every once in a while to have a beer-fueled bowel clean-out. <laughs> I am not saying that. <laughs> no, he said it. See you next week, folks. Bye. <laughs> Adios.